John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed Omnibus Addenda Volume 12 Entry 391.RV2101 Certificate Number 46819 Earth 2 We're going all the way back. Boy, taking it way back. When when even was that entry? Earth 2 Do you have it up? Aired uh, in November of 2019 Oh, wow that's a year-old oh, pre-pandemic year yeah. entry. Uh, Frank listened to it recently, re-listened to it recently, and had a question that he wanted us to answer. All right, go it, ahead, during, Frank. During that program, we mentioned the fan theory that pretty much all uh, American entertainment is now happening inside the head of the autistic kid from the St. Elsewhere finale. Oh, Do sure. This, this is the this is the continuity of or or the uh, the the Marvel universe. Basically, yeah. yeah. What if all TV shows took place in a shared universe? And to the degree they crossed over with the '80s hospital drama St. Elsewhere, that would imply that they are all happening inside the imagination of a of a young child, because Chad Allen appears in the finale as a young boy shaking a snow globe and it's implied that all the the whole run of the show has happened inside his snow globe right. which is weird his snow globe has commercial breaks and everything it's weird and also somebody must have then tied saint elsewhere and all of its characters to other shows tied to other shows that's, that's what the kevin bacon theory yeah so the characters from saint elsewhere uh, appeared on cheers also set in boston and it's easy to connect cheers to frazier and then you know and then it creates a web just heading outward of other associations to the degree that, um, you know, a good chunk of all entertainment produced since the late eighties can be tied back to St. Elsewhere and therefore might be the uh, imagination of this young kid. Right. Um, Frank's question was since St. Elsewhere immediately connects to cheers. And since Cliff Clavin from cheers was a contestant on jeopardy, does that mean I myself am just a figment of Tommy Westfall's imagination. Do I exist? Hmm. We, and we didn't dig into this in the original episode, the fact that if there is a, a an imaginary St. Elsewhere universe, I might be part of it, and therefore... I am part of it? Apparently you are. Apparently the omnibus is all happening inside Tommy Westfall's head. Within, within a, a universe inside of Tommy Westfall's head, do the, do the characters that populate that universe have self-awareness? 
because I can attest to being. I don't know if you're self-aware. You can you can say you are, but isn't that what you would say if you if you were uh, my imagination of you? Well, but I'm here to. I'm here to. Uh, what what would what would a test be that would uh, that would allow a listener to determine that I am self-aware, even if you are not? Uh, we have an upcoming episode where we have you speak to an artificial intelligence. Right. But that just proves maybe you're a better artificial intelligence than she is. Right. So even that's not going to do it. There's really nothing you can say to convince me that you exist. Hmm. I know that I exist, and you know that you exist, but that's as far as we can go. But that means that, <clears throat> what, that not only is my band part of Tommy Westfall's imagination. Every band that ever played on a bill with you. Uh, but also Guns N' Roses and... You played with Guns N' Roses? Well, no, but I'm... My, but, but you Duff know McKagan's my cousin. Yeah. And, you know, I've met... I've met the mayor of San Francisco, Willie Brown. Wait, San Francisco doesn't exist? Well, that's what I'm saying. Or does it? Or is it just... The a- governor of California follows me on Twitter. Wait a second. See? Now, here's the problem. You can follow fictional characters on Twitter. Exactly. And I, I think it goes... This is a common explanation of how the Tommy Westfall phenomenon must work. Just because Cliff Clavin, who apparently... Was on Jeopardy. Is, a, is an fictional... Because he was, he was on Jeopardy. Tommy Westfall could have been imagining his fictional postman going on a show that exists. Much the I same agree. way that you could dream about... Um, that you could dream about uh, that, that, hanging out with Baby Spice. Sure. Dream that Jane Weedlin in the role of Joan of Arc in Bill and Ted's Excellent <laughs> Adventure is actually my girlfriend. Sure. Yeah. And that doesn't mean Joan of Arc doesn't exist. And it doesn't right. mean the Go-Go's don't exist. That's right. It didn't. It doesn't mean that Bill and Ted don't really live in San Dimas, and uh, that they didn't meet Beethoven. So I think my take here would be that uh, the buck stops. Yes, the 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 doctors at Saint Eligius Hospital are imaginary. Although Tommy West, you know, some of them come home and see Tommy. So apparently he's having adventures about actual doctors he knows. Oh sure. So maybe you know maybe even their adventures are outside the bubble. Certainly their crossover with the. The gang at Cheers could be inside or outside the bubble. I think that, but that Alex, doesn't mean my appearance on Jeopardy has to be inside the bubble. Yeah, I think that, that it's clearly not. In fact, why would Tommy Tommy Westfall is going to be a? He's got to be in his forties now. Why would he still be imagining or fifties? Why would he be imagining the ongoing adventures of a game show that appeared once in his head? Hard to know the the intricacies of the human mind, but I feel like Alex uh, at Jeopardy is some kind of. Truth comb, and he's where fantasy and reality. He's, he he's the gate. He exists in all universes simultaneously, right. and is probably as aware of all of them. So Alex is able to both be a fictional character in Cliff Clavin's universe and a real person in our world. Yes, yes, uh, and that makes me real. And that means that it makes me real by implication. Therefore, right. you are, and therefore the listeners are as well. If in case you were getting worried listening to this, right, right, and this the money is not you, a simulation, and the money you support us with on Patreon is also real. That's right. Go to Patreon.com/slash/OmnibusProject. <laughs> we don't have to upsell them. They're already oh, right. they're, they're already donating. Uh, on behalf of a friend or family member, you can subscribe. You can give them a subscription. It is the season of giving coming up. You know that that doesn't mean you have to double your donation or give on behalf of a loved one. It doesn't mean you couldn't. But I feel like we've answered this question. We, I am real, as you are real, as we are real, as we are all together. Well, the stakes for the rest of the entry are much more, are much lower at this point. Oh, okay. Now that we've established our own reality, I just wanted to make sure we did that first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Entry 1403.PR1401. 
Certificate number 51993. Marilyn Vos Savant. Uh, we discussed the, um, the obsessive keeper of the Marilyn Vos Savant was wrong. Uh, right. Uh, website. Did they contact us? <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we heard from people who knew him, Last Addenda, which was interesting. But we did hear from a listener named Greg who wa- was wondering if he could market shirts that say Ken Jennings was wrong, matching the old Marilyn Vos Savant look. I think Ken we mentioned Jennings. the option during the show. But when were you ever wrong? Oh, I've been wrong on, I mean, I'm wrong, you know, 20 times a day. You just we seem to get Mindy in here. Yeah. I, was, I, was wrong, I was wrong on Jeopardy once or twice in an evening. How? I've been wrong on TV more than, more than anybody more than I have. living except for Donald Trump. Have you, uh, have you ever done a, like a, like a data crunch of the number of times you were wrong on Jeopardy versus the number of times you were right? Somebody has. I'm not going to dig into my stats right now. Oh, but it's like stats. You have baseball stats. I don't, but somebody, yeah, I mean, they're about me. Somebody keeps them. Like, wh- what is your worst category? I guess categories change all the time, but you're pretty good at geography. Yeah, like if there was like Pope's once and I went 0 for 5. My career batting average, 597. Now that includes non-responses. Oh. Correct responses, 2693 if you include Final Jeopardy. Incorrect responses, 263. Whoa, 10%. Yeah, but that's still pretty high. Is it? In general, you want to be swinging... A little less than that, I think. If I had to do it all over again, um, you really want to keep your mouth shut on Jeopardy. You don't want to, you, you know, you're risking, you're risking a ton of edge in the game every time you open your mouth. So you don't want to say the first thing that comes to mind. You want to be sure. Huh? That's not so bad, though. Um, but to be right ninety percent of the time. I mean, I feel like I'm. I'm right about 95% of the time in all matters. I mean, I wouldn't want a calculator that was right 90% of the time. True. You know? True. But what about a dad? A religion that's right 90% of the time would be pretty good. Come on. You, you, you're you going to find one of you're those? You're shooting higher? Oh, I see. <laughs> I thought you were going to be 100 or nothing. A religion that was right 20% of the time would be amazing. Anyway, Greg wanted to market Ken Jennings was wrong. Shirts. What did you say? Well, I what to- do you say? I told him uh, we're not... You know, I can't tell him what to do, but, you know, we might want to do that at some point down the line. Oh, right, and, right. Because, you know, because we've got merch now on uh, yeah. omnibusproject.com slash store, I think. We'll, Have, di- we'll direct your, you to the latest. Is your image, name and image, are they trademarked or copyrighted? Have you protected them legally? <sighs> it's different in different jurisdictions. California, because the entertainment industry is such a big lobby, the state of California has legally recognized the right of publicity which means individual citizens have some kind of legal rights to how their name gets used. In the state of California, I might be able to shut down just some guy putting um, Ken Jennings was wrong shirts on his, on his Redbubble store. And I don't know if that's actually a net good for society that mm-hmm. we have that. Mm-hmm. Um, and other jurisdictions don't agree that that right, right exists. Right. Um, so it's kind of a new area of law. When, when I told Greg this, he, to his credit, he said, you know, his initial passion for the idea had died. You know, not every 
not every sidetrack on an omnibus needs to be right. a physical item. And in fact, most should not. In those, Especially I, the racist ones. I think when you're listening to a podcast, uh, there are moments where you're like, that's hilarious. That belongs on a t-shirt. Just describing the moment to any other human will, will disabuse you of this. Yeah, and it's it's... Even even super fans that would agree with you in the moment, maybe a week later, aren't going to want a T-shirt. A guy came up to me one time, and he'd there was a picture of me and Will Wheaton and this guy, and he wanted to turn it into a T-shirt. And he'd he wanted the three characters, he and Will Wheaton and me, to be wearing T-shirts. You're all characters. You only exist in the Tommy Westfall. That's right. We, we're caricatured. The Wesley Crusher universe from a photograph or something. We're we're oh, uh, we're drawn, and he wants us to be wearing T-shirts that have nerdy things on them. In his in his picture in, in his in his drawing in the drawing, and he asked he me. He has a lot of control over how he draws you. He does. He asked me what I wanted on my T-shirt, and I said, ah. I want the image of the three of us in our T-shirts on my T-shirt, recursive to the end of time. And I want on that T-shirt the image of me on my own T-shirt wearing the T-shirt of us. You're difficult. On the T-shirt. And he- What a writer. He did it. He, he succeeded. And he printed this shirt with the three of us and gave me one. But I can't. I I have to imagine it was a limited run. <laughs> there aren't many. People, I haven't seen one in Hot Topic lately. No, if that's what you mean, there aren't many people other than this particular person who wants it, including probably me and Will Wheaton. I mean, I still own it. But. I mean, for private use, sure, you, private you, use. you can make me do whatever you want on your shirt. I mean, have me do illegal or or, uh, or uh, obscene acts on your shirt. There's little I can do. And please send Parody us a copy is, to <laughs> P.O. Box 55744. I don't want one, but send an extra large for John, yeah, please. I'm an XL. The reason I mentioned Greg's email is because uh, he kindly, uh, he had purchased KenJenningsWasWrong.com, the domain. For, to for, keep it out of uh, public use? Or? I guess, well, for whatever fiendish purposes he had in mind at the time, in, right. in, in a moment of, of uh, omnibus-induced mania. But um, but having decided against marketing anything as a result, he has redirected the site to our our uh, our omnibus website. Oh, well done. So if you go to, thank you, Greg. So if you go to KenJenningsWasWrong.com, it will redirect to the venue in which I am now wrong most often, which is this podcast. I have to say that that uh, the ownership of Ken Jennings was wrong dot com may be uh, very profitable when the allegations uh, <laughs> finally see see the light of day. Ken Jennings was wrong dot com. Let's see what happens. It goes right to Omnibus. Wow, and that's a you know handsome picture of the two of us there. Right out of the box. Yeah, that's nice. Thank you, Greg, for that service you provide. Entry 121.DA0403. Certificate number 50861. Billboards. Do you think people have noticed your increasingly erratic reading of the codes as apparently your your vision has declined in the last month and a half? It's really, really lame. <laughs> I have never seen you squint or lift your glasses as much as you now do just to... Uh, you know, what I should just do is expand, you know, like, like zoom in on these pages so I'm sure. not like, what the hell does it say? It's in eight-point type. Accessibility is a huge issue in, in software design now and... Uh, I'm sure they have your your uh, 
your age-related disabilities in mind. Yeah, it's uh, I'm sad that I'm losing my my vision, and maybe you uh, just need better glasses. Well, I, is your prescription no longer right? I have a hard prescription to oh, right. to fill, and I and I don't have bifocals. I don't have progressive lenses yet because I tried them once and they were confusing and dizzying. But I think they that, say people emerge from that on the other side. Yeah, the ship has sailed. Briefly, I, I need them uh, briefly need before them. they die. I they get, they get used them. to bifocals. The reason why I wanted to mention the billboards entry is because Anthony noted. I guess I offhandedly. Uh, praised the barns of some part of Washington or maybe elsewhere in the Northwest uh, as the most beautiful in the state. And he apparently was very offended because he's such a booster of the barns of Whitman County, Washington. Oh, Whitman County barns. Yeah. In, in fact, he sent me links to the yearly uh, calendar of beautiful Whitman County barns and says, I hope really? you can correct the record uh, in your smear campaign and exclude Whitman County Barnes from my 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 uh, slandering of the Barnes of Washington. Whitman County is a uh, is a very a very curious corner of Washington State. It's uh, it's over near Idaho. It's uh, it's in the southern uh, the southeastern part of the state. It's it's Pullman. Am I right? Uh, Pullman's there. It's not it's not all the way south. It's not like down. Um, it's not down like that. Whatever that weird county is down there, where Walla Walla There's is. There's no people in that county. I guess it's Walla it doesn't have to have a county. name. Uh, but it, it's um, it's the Palouse. Yes, and the rolling hills of the Palouse, full of beautiful barns with old faded tobacco ads on them. My daughter is obsessed with uh, old barns. The more dilapidated, the better. Against the most dramatic backdrops, the better. I sent her pictures of what's called Mormon Row, which is some old. Um, you know, dilapidated pioneer cabins and sheds in front of the Teton Mountains that uh, photographers love. And uh, she was just over the moon. What is going on with Caitlin that she is interested in, like, barn porn? Uh, I don't know. Barncore? What's the, what's the, uh, what's the aesthetic? <laughs> barncore. She's super <laughs> barncore. Oh, wait a minute. We, we saw, a we were on Lopez Island, we saw a tractor over, you know, rusty old tractor overgrown with uh, morning glory or ivy or something. And she was just in heaven. That was so her the, favorite thing. The most southeasterly county in Washington, I've never experienced this before. I did not know there was a county in Washington that I'd never heard of, but it's Asotin County. Wow. And the reason Population I've never heard eight. of it is there's no one there. <laughs> there are no roads in Asotin County. But <laughs> Lewiston, if you can picture a county in Washington where Lewiston is at the far northeastern corner, <laughs> uh, and there are there are barns. And what's funny is I've been. Wait, to are you going to diss the barns of Whitman County in favor of this new county you've only just heard of? Look, man, uh, I think that the reason a Soton County barns don't have the publicity campaign that Whitman County barns do, no calendar, is that you have to go down there and actually like ride a horse around to see them. Right? There's no, you can't just drive on on uh good old highway 12 you have to get down in there and and really see them sorry anthony i know that was a mixed blessing because we recognized women county's barn excellence but then immediately moved on then immediately changed around i was just in zumwalt oregon not that long ago and uh how were the barns uh well you know oregon not doesn't have the great barns that washington does 
They're in Troy. You know, there's a grouse. There's a grouse in Asotin County and a grouse in Oregon. One single grouse? Or that's the name of a town? That's the name of, like, sister cities. How strange. What a weird part of the world. It really is crazy up there. Stay out. Highly recommended if you want to go off the grid. I'm sure in the future it's some kind of awful radioactive no man's land. But even in our time, it seems weird. There's a town in Idaho called Mexican Place. (laughs) Anyway. Where do you want to eat tonight? Oh, yeah, the Mexican Place. You mean in the Mexican Place in Mexican Place? Entry 515.LA0345. Certificate number 26561. You know, increasing the font here has made it much easier for me to read these numbers. It certainly has less weird uh, pauses in the cadence as you read them. The Garbage Barge. This is a very quick check-in from Billy. He wanted us to make a correction. Sure, Billy, go. We said, maybe you said? Somebody said in that episode that Chuck D went to SUNY. Oh, I probably said that. What, Chuck D did not go to SUNY? Unfortunately, he went to Adelphi. Oh, Adelphi. So it it is a Long Island campus. In fact, the big Long Island campus. Right. Uh, Billy points out that he had a show on Adelphi's old radio station, WBAU, Beloved in the Region. Oh, 90.3, just like our beloved station. And that's where he met uh, Flavor Flav. So to all uh, Adelphi Adelphi alumna, alumnus. Alumni. Alumni. uh, My sincerest apologies, your your famous sons. When it comes to John's... Public enemy knowledge. Don't believe the hype. Don't 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 believe. You know, go on. You have all the time in the world. This addenda episode could be could be forty five minutes of you just just speaking public enemy. What if it's just me saying yeah, boy? Yeah, boy. But then it goes on for an hour. Boy. What's that? Mark Mark could loop it. Mark could loop the e. I wonder what the that should be a Guinness World Record longest yeah boy yeah boy entry five two one dot jb one eight one seven. Certificate number, oh, but now I have to scroll because it's too, it doesn't fit on one screen. Certificate number 34402. <laughs> generic food. Boy, did we hear from it on generic, hear about it on generic food. Because people are still enjoying, uh, like, black and white branded beer. It's, I guess it's something that impacts people's, that touches people's lives more. Uh, or, it's Canadian, right? Or at least in different ways. Well, we definitely heard from a bunch of Canadians, Evan and many others, wanted us to know, and this was something in my notes, but it didn't make it into the show, that Canada has an enormously popular and iconic generic brand to this day called No Name. No Name. Which is well known for its uh, distinctive Hel- black Helvetica font on a bright yellow background. And it's been a uh, you know, mainstay of Canadian grocery shopping for over 40 years and it's really iconic in a way that no uh, no store brand is in our 
larger, more successful country. Not 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 as iconic as Kroger spaghetti sauce. <laughs> People were mentioning. Um, do you remember when the Safeway House brand was like Scotch Buy? Yeah, sure. And, and the idea is that the Scotch, the, the Scottish people are penny pinchers and uh-huh. therefore want to spend eight cents less on on, on Brillo pads or on uh, canned tomatoes. Right. Scotch Buy, isn't that great? Scotch. Buy. Can you imagine the other nationalities you they could have chosen? Well, you wouldn't want to call it Welsher. <laughs> Uh, um, sure, I've rec- I recognize no name uh, branded stuff. I've been to enough grocery stores in Canada, but I didn't realize that a package that just said cheese and crackers on it was was part of a. They look really good. They look like space food. They do because they've kept the uh, the early eighties, late seventies kind of uh, monochromatic, in case of emergency, break glass kind of a public utility look but now they've added now the packaging does have photographs of the of the content it's really nice well-designed stuff yeah it's nice it's, and, uh, but it is the house brand of loblaws grocery bob loblaw loblaw and apparently I, I only go to canadian tire apparently there was a uh, a competing supermarket chain dominion who was who came out with their own line of generic product Products, but 24 hours later than Loblaws, oh, and Loblaw, you know, like soaked up all the publicity in, all the, in that one day. Yeah, can you imagine? They, they the, owned that news cycle. Dominion was like, "We are coming out with it. This is going to blow Loblaws off the map." And then, oh, you know, historically, a lot of the savings of generic of generic products was that they they didn't have a, an advertising budget. But uh, last year, 2019, uh, Loblaw did an unprecedented marketing blitz for No Name. Which was very clever. They labeled other generic things. You know, the uh, subway stations in the Toronto subway would have yellow no-name signs in front of everything, like collector booth may contain fair collector. You know, they would put it in front of a staircase. Staircase may lead up. Hilarious. Just the all lowercase stuff. Oh, that's such a Canadian sense of humor. They would do commercials that just say commercial 30 seconds. (laughs) And you would see a guy sitting in a chair that says chair with a briefcase that says briefcase. I mean... It really writes itself. There are Lol. still, I think there are buildings in Toronto that are still painted yellow and say in Helvetica, building, building. May, con- may contain people. So they're really uh, running. And it just goes to show the the kind of nationwide affection for this um, look and feel. Yeah, I get it. It's very Canadian, really. Um, you know, they're... It's they're understated. A, they're a humble people. They are. They're they're uh, maybe a thrifty people. A thrifty people. They, they see themselves as maybe a little uh, more practical than their uh, American neighbors. Right. They're they're you know they're less uh, less emotional, less demonstrative, L- less capitalist. Also, right. you know, Americans they like all those all those big fla- flashy expensive brands. Sure, crass Americans. But we're you know Canada's more communitarian maybe. Um. We, uh, you know, we're a simpler people. We did not get all of our mail from Canada. We heard from, well, I don't even know where to begin. Everybody wanted to know, tell us about their store brands. Mike wanted, it sent two emails defending the honor of Dr. Lou, which is St. Louis's store brand of Dr. Pepper alike. Hmm. And he really says it's very good. And I, I got to say, I've never drunk store brand Dr. Pepper to, enough to, uh, to know the good ones from the bad ones. Have you seen the the lists of all the Dr. Pepper clones? Yeah, There are fun. like 50. It's fun. Yeah. And they all start with doctor. That's how you know what you're getting into. They don't just say weird prune soda in, have you not in, had, in Helvetica. Have you not had any of them? Have you not tried any? It seems like maybe a... I've had this one, this... Uh, Diet Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper. 
what what if we did a what if we did a, a special test? episode where we ordered all fifty fake Dr. Peppers and just live drink them and just tested them one after another? This one tastes also like prunes. that. Seems like a second podcast we would have called "The Doctor Is In" or something where we just. <laughs> Every, every, week, every, every week, it's a different... We just drink one can. ...store brand. I'm like, hmm, all right. Uh, we heard from two different Rachels. Uh, Rachel, number one, was surprised because you. I think you took pains to mention how the generic food, kind of the anti-capitalist look and feel of generic food really dovetails with the punk aesthetic. Yeah. And she pointed out that we did not mention the uh, uh, Public Image Limited record called Album. Oh. Which used the iconography of generic food on the cover. Uh, if you bought it on cassette, it actually said cassette. If you bought it on compact disc, it said compact disc. That John Lydon, when he, he's not when when he's not being a racist like well, Tory apologist, and now a Trump supporter, I believe. Yeah, he's just but but really smart when it comes to uh, album packaging. Yeah, he's good good at branding. Uh, the other Rachel we mentioned um, generic bagged or store brand bagged cereals. On the show. Right. And she mentioned that having gone to Carleton College, she actually lived, uh, you know, uh, right uh, in Northfield, Minnesota. That's the city where the Maltomeal factory is located. And when the wind is right, it just smells like cereal all day for the students at St. Olaf's and Carleton. You have that experience driving through Cedar Rapids, and I've reported on it several times because Cedar Rapids is where they make Captain Crunch, and the whole town smells like Captain Crunch. And it's enough to make you want to live there. I had the exact same experience. I don't think Rachel knew when she sent this note, but I have been to Carleton, and oh. I have I have driven that drive from the Twin Cities up to Northfield, and I have the wind was blowing the right way, and I got to enjoy the smell of... Uh, frosted mini spooners oh. or marshmallow mateys or whatever it was blowing across the the prairie. And it is just fantastic. I mean, I don't know if you'd get sick of it ever. For for half an hour, I was fine. Maybe in day three, you don't want the smell of, of grape nuts? Or, I, bet, I bet you eventually just stop noticing. What if it just makes everything taste like Cap'n Crunch if you live in Cedar Rapids? Somehow people live in Tacoma <laughs> and... They don't, you know, they don't die. Our final note from this episode was Mark, and I forwarded this to you. You may have seen this. We talked about brand loyalty, and we both talked about our uh, uh, our um, preference not to fly United. Did you see Mark's note? <laughs> he's, he's a United employee, a result of the uh, the Continental acquisition. So not no, oh, he, he was a uh, not a, a United employee by choice. Yeah, he 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 worked for Continental, and then all of a sudden it works for United, and he was very upset. He it really made him feel bad to hear people say mean things about United, and and he he hopes that I we won't say mean things about United in the future. And I tried to reassure him that when people complain about brands, there's often. There's generally no malice, even if it's people just inveighing against Comcast or uh, 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 the New York Yankees or the kind of syrup they hate. You know, generally people just people like to to bitch about something, and he yes. he shouldn't take it personally that uh, that you or I love to hate uh, an airline that is not our preferred airline. No, although one of the challenges. Um one of the challenges in hating United is that it seems clear that a lot of people that work for United also hate United. And in his letter, 
he gave the indication, he gave plenty of indication that he also doesn't like working for United. We heard from an American Airlines employee who said, ha ha ha, yeah, I get it. Um, but uh, Mark seems to feel it very keenly. Yeah, and I, I, and, and I... And I took pains to say that we would never be, you know, we would always be super kind to a United flight crew. If anything else, you feel, you feel fellow feeling for them, these poor do. people that have to spend much more time with United, on United Jets than we do. Right. Uh, you know, they're the ones who, who have it really bad. It's like when a kid is being loud on a plane. I never get mad at the parents because no, I, I know not. the parents are the real victims here. All you have to do is be a parent on an airplane one time with yeah. an unruly kid to know like, oh, this is the worst day of their life. It has very little to do with me. And it's the same for the person who works for a notoriously lousy employer, whether that's Uber or whether that's American. Uh I, 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 the other, oh, I know when it came up. I was watching the Clooney movie up in the air and I said, this is the craziest fantasy movie ever made. The premise is that a man likes American Airlines. <laughs> and that was where <laughs> that I, that was where you got the ha ha, I get it. That was where I got the, I work for American and, uh, this is pretty good. Um, but Mark, uh, if you're listening to this, if you're a Patreon donor, we, we support, you. I know this is a tough time for all flight crews and all airline employees. Uh, please do not let our, um, having a good time at United's expense affect your psyche in any way. That's right. You love to fly in at shows. We know that. No, wait, that's Delta. Uh, Just leave it. Thank you for the friendly skies. Leave it. Is that United? I think that's somebody else. That's United, right? Rhapsody in Blue? Is it? I think. United, 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 we stand. United we stand, one and all. Is that one of those um, We Are the World songs, but about the first Gulf War or yeah, something? I'm, I'm doing it intentionally out of tune because um, it's... Well, uh, well, you want people to charge for good music, to, to pay when you do good music. That's right. You don't want to give it, to, uh, give it away for it's free. A, that, that's a song that I wouldn't expect you to know, but it's, um, it's a Judas Priest song. Entry 1274.LK1619, certificate number 21125. Take Ivy. This is from Michael or Mikkel, who, and it's probably not apropos of Take Ivy. I don't know if that inspired him, but I didn't know which entry did, and this was too good to leave alone. Uh, he wrote, he's just kind of a, he's working on his kind of self-taught composing and, and engineering skills. And he thought there should be a smooth jazz cover of the omnibus theme. Oh. The, the music that begins every entry. Uh, our friend Noel at iHeartMedia composed it for us and, and let us use it even after we uh, left their umbrella. Sure. For, for the most part, despite our you know, corporate run-ins with them, we, you know, we have we had great relationships with our friends at, at, uh, at How Stuff Works. Good friends. Still good friends with Chuck Bryant, who texted me yesterday. Oh, hi, Chuck. Um. Do we, surely there are some cool jazz bows listening to Omnibus. I wonder if we have the power to bring those jazz bows together. Probably what it is, is we, there are like seven jazz clarinetists, but But no one one that plays the bass. Our, uh, just as an aside, we have a neighbor uh, where this, our neighbor family, the son is very serious about jazz. They all love jazz, but the son plays the, um. The baritone sax. Oh yeah, and so they often get combos together, and I, you know, especially during the pandemic, have been playing in the backyard, which means I get a lovely 
jazz accompaniment to my workday, but it's always... They're good at jazz. They're, they're good. They're, you know, they're, they're the best jazz band players at their respective schools, but the combo is literally always... Three uh, baritone saxes. It's always guitar, <laughs> bass, and Barry sax playing the lead. Wow, so super honky. Which you don't always hear in jazz. Yeah. Honk. Um, but anyway, I guess if Anonymous ever gets picked up by NPR, we're going to need a smooth jazz version of Noel's theme. Well, this is the type of thing that we put to our uh, to put to the futurelings. Is it possible to um, to com- well not compose, but to arrange the omnibus theme for whatever jazz combo you can put together out of futurelings? I bet there's a violinist and a vibraphonist. We need a madrigal version. Some there are probably four drummers. Put it all together. Here is uh, Mikkel. I hope I'm saying that right. Here is Mikkel's work. You didn't tell me that Mikkel had actually done this oh i'm sorry i thought that was implicit oh no i thought he was saying oh there should be this not that he's about i, I, I guess to i do just it. said i thought it might be fun to do a jazz cover of the honest theme and i guess the next thing that happened after he thought it was fun was he did it oh. uh, unlike so many of us he chased his dreams and, and it sounds like he did it all on a keyboard yeah i think so you, but, you want an actual combo playing this live. Well, that's, uh, you know... But it was pretty great, right? It was it was fantastic. And interesting that he that he made the keyboard sound like um, like kind of a Japanese shamisen. That might just be my... It has a little like... Bling, ding, ding, that ding. might just be my crappy laptop speakers. I don't know. Uh, but yes, wonderful. That it, it, it translates, doesn't it? So maybe from now on when we do one of your preppy fashion shows or whatever it is, if you do a show on the Rat Pack or something... Maybe we should swap out the theme. I like it. I like it. We'll put that in. We'll we'll give that to Mark Miles and put it in the uh, the omnibus templates. Entry six seven two dot two k zero nine three zero. Certificate number two nine two six six. Mary Kay Pink Cadillacs. One quick um, correction here. Kurt pointed out that. I referred to the Blackfeet tribe of Montana that lives, that has a reservation adjacent to Glacier National Park. I called them the Blackfoot tribe, I guess thinking of Blackfoot, Idaho, which is not all that far away. Right. In fact, that's a different tribe. There are Blackfoot uh, people in Canada. But these uh, are Blackfeet. These are Blackfeet. And I'm sure grammatically it's tricky. I'm a Blackfeet. Yeah. I, I guess. guess that's what you say. Um. So we apologize to our uh, our Blackfeet and Blackfoot listeners and their descendants. Um, most of the responses we got to this uh, entry, and I think we solicited them, were first-person experiences with oh, yeah. not just multi-level marketing, but with Mary Kay in particular. And a lot of people use Mary Kay products unto this day. We got a ton of endorsements of specific Mary Kay products, like... Um, uh, Somebody said they make the best makeup remover. Somebody says even my husband uses their something something. Somebody really uh, stood up for their hand cream. S- yeah, their satin hand hand cream. I guess it's really high end stuff. Um, and so that's I think that's why many people. Uh, let's see. I think it was Jen or Sarah was telling us that they um, 
continue to be Mary Kay distributors, even though they don't actually sell to anyone. They just love the product and want the discount. Oh, interesting. So they, they're, they're their only customer. Yeah. Um, Jen particular said that, uh, you know how we said that the success is often concentrated in a, a small number of sellers and a lot of these yeah. chains, uh, her director just earned her first, uh, Mary Kay Chevy Malibu and her senior director, I guess her director's director just earned her seventh pink Cadillac in 11 years and is now you know, has just been a full-time Mary Kay and is obviously making a go of it. And she says she has the personality that you could predict. She's just super bubbly all the time. Yeah. And you can tell she's made for Mary Kay. Well, you know, Mary Kay was just in the news. I don't know if you saw that, but a, a, um, a woman uh, was involved in some kind of, uh, she responded to some protest by, um, she re- responded in a way that uh, that did not reflect well on the Mary Kay brand, and she was there. She was in her Mary Kay pink car. Oh, she did some Karen thing? Yeah, and the Mary Kay company revoked her car. Just because she ran over six Black Lives Matters protesters yeah, with it? something wow, like that. Something went down. They're tough. That's good. The Mary Kay's keeping the... Um keeping the brand clean. Mm-hmm. So I guess, uh, you know, we got nothing but ringing endorsements for their product line, maybe if not the business model. Well, if Mary Kay uh, Corporation wants to advertise on the Omnibus, we've already given them a freebie. And Think of the downline we will have with the, you know, the tens of thousands of listeners we sure. have every week. <laughs> sure. We, we'll both don't, get Cadillacs. Don't you, think most, don't you think most of them would want to buy uh, cosmetics? Sure. Why don't you get the hand cleaner and, uh, and make sure you told them or make sure you tell them Ken and John sent you. Entry 1429.IS1305. Certificate number 25154. White trains. This is about the trains that carry the, the warheads. I'm on a white train. At some point, as an aside, I've, I lamented the fact that there were no movies about stealing the nukes from one of these trains or trucks. Oh, and I bet you there's there's 10 Steven Seagal movies about this. Well, I guess it's kind of close to the premise of Under Siege 2. Right, or Broken Arrow, right? Isn't that another one? Broken Arrow, I think we mentioned on the show, that is, um, that's stealing maybe jet-mounted. Yeah, stealing a nuke a, off of a jet. Air-mounted uh, stuff. Um, what a predicament. That's uh, something Travolta says in the trailer to Broken Arrow. Also, I think... Ain't it cool? News was named for a quote from Broken Arrow. Really? That's, that's like it's it's only gift to. Uh, Ain't it cool? News to nineties uh, internet movie culture. Only nineties kids will get this. <laughs> we uh, we reviewed Broken Arrow on uh, our award winning war movie podcast, Friendly Fire. Is it good? I'm not sure. I've it seen is it. not good. Uh, the uh, one thing I thought was interesting because this is actually a movie I just saw. Somebody pointed out that this is part of Lex Luthor's plan in the first Superman. Oh, do you remember the part with Larry Hagman? Suddenly, for no reason, Larry Hagman's in the movie. Wow! So before you know, in order to um, in order to get the San Andreas Vault to shear in half and drop half of California into the sea, making his desert property valuable. Oh, right. Luthor needs a nuke to make this happen. Right. And he shoots one east to Metropolis and one west toward California, knowing that Superman can't handle both. And the way he gets the nukes is he and I, I think maybe he sends Ned Beatty and, and Miss right. Tessmacher out there to, uh, to hijack them. And he does it from trucks. And uh, it ends with the gag where um, 
all the soldiers want to give uh, Valerie Perrine mouth to mouth. That's a good gag. And uh, yeah, it's it's not it's not uh, rapey at all. And uh, and Larry Hagman insists that he should do it, even though he's he's a colonel or somebody high ranking. Good old Larry Hagman. You can count on him. Let's see. Relief. Had Dallas already started in '78? Yes, right. I thought. So, I think of Dallas as a 1980 phenomenon, but maybe I'm wrong. When was Alexa? When was the first season of Dallas? 1978. Oh, so maybe he was not yet Jr. I guess it aired in April '78. So at the time he shot it. So by the time it airs, people are like, "Wait, this is guys the most iconic character on American TV." All of a sudden, why is he a cameo of one scene of? Superman, the motion picture, but I guess this is also a movie that has Marlon Brando for one scene, so it makes sense. Right. And then in addition to that, uh, Michael wanted us to know about um, a made-for-TV movie that he saw as a kid in 1984 about terrorists trying to hijack a plutonium shipment from a big rig. It was called Time Bomb, and it starred, <laughs> speaking of speaking of 80 soap opera cast, Billy Dee Williams, Merlin Olson, and as the terrorist leader Morgan Fairchild. Whoa, Merlin Olson, one of the uh, one of the gr- all all time great Mormon uh, O line slash actors. But Morgan Fairchild was the bad guy as the terrorist leader. Uh, I had no idea that Merlin Olson was uh, was. Uh, well, I guess I didn't know that he was a football player either. There are a lot of things I didn't know about Merlin Olson. Rams, I think. Did I get his position wrong? He was on the uh, Rams. Defensive tackle. I was wrong. But I remember him from Little House on the Prairie. Sure, sure. Um, like, for a defensive tackle, he's a pretty good actor. I will say that. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Um, not, that's not faint praise at all. So Go I, to Utah State. I don't know if uh, Time Bomb is available Especially not for in Futureling's era, but it sounds like it's uh it sounds like it's a real classic. I mean, Morgan Fairchild definitely had her moment, didn't she? Michael uh sent us a picture of him and his brother touring an underground uh launch control facility. He was uh, yes. he's did I send you this? He was uh he was a security, security policeman for, policeman. for a bunch of these Wyoming and Nebraska underground silos. And I guess you could take your brother on a tour of a missile silo in the in the early 90s? I mean, the picture is of them standing out by the gate, right? Yes, but he says he did, uh, maybe he couldn't take pictures inside, but he said he did get him a, his brother a tour of an underground launch control capsule for the Peacekeeper before they before they retired them under START too. I guess the, this is interesting. He told us that the Peacekeeper, miss, the peacekeeper missiles are still around, even though they've been banished by treaty, but they've been repurposed for satellite launching. Oh, so right. Th- that was the whole idea, right? They could go to space. So why not just right. so they, not turn them around? So they've banned these missiles, but they just moved the warheads to other missiles. Now they're, the warheads are all on Minutemen and the rockets are, are now for satellites. That's good. You got to gotta, gotta sure. re- reduce, reuse, recycle. That's exactly right. Entry 1121.AC2718, certificate number 36640, CY's Giant. We heard from multiple people who had firsthand experience with, uh, you know, you. I think you mentioned people using these kind of commercial freighters uh, for travel. Yeah. 
And I, and I kind of, I talked about it as kind of an, ex, just an extreme form of bargain hunting, I guess, like, <laughs> like couponing on the high seas. And I was corrected by multiple people who had done it. And they say that it's a kind of, uh, adventure travel. Yeah. That, you know, people don't want to feel like they're on the tourist trail. Uh, you know, uh, uh, one listener sent a picture of his mom, his, his elderly, it looks like, you know, uh, mom getting on there, but who still loves to, uh who still loves to travel by by freighter, I guess. Really? Um, the most detailed account we got was from a listener named Devin. She, uh, she worked or works. Um, she, used, she was a tour director specializing in uh, taking Americans to the former Soviet Union, I guess the Soviet Union, she writes, in uh-huh. deference to you. Soviet, yes, thank you. And she said it was very much this, this exact kind of niche travel. People who want... To feel like they're off the tourist trail, but she says as long as you can get them to a Western style hotel of three stars or greater by that evening. Right, right. Um, so you want the illusion of independence, and the problem is everybody touring this, the former Soviet Union at that time had that same goal, which meant that wherever you took a group of people, you were likely to run into another group of Midwesterners doing the same thing. So it really got tricky trying to avoid other foreigners in quick dry pants taking the exact same photos. Uh, and she has a, she has a horror story of trying to take, uh, a bunch of people from Baku, Azerbaijan across the Caspian Sea by cargo ferry to Turkmenistan, um, and avoiding all the unrest in Dagestan. Uh, well, that does sound like a horror story. Well, I guess it took the, I guess it, she had planned for, um, she had planned for a 12 hour crossing and it took 39 hours just because <laughs> when it's not a passenger ferry, they don't care. You right. know, like car, the cargo world doesn't care about your deadlines. And so she, uh, she had some angry, angry foreigners. And the, the Azerbaijanis who actually caused the problem were long gone. Right. Um, Unapologetic. But she had great stories of the Caspian Sea by cargo ferry. And I, I don't know, you, you said you'd never traveled that way, despite your walking across Europe proclivities. Uh, no, I haven't. And and um, it's definitely on the list of things I want to do. I, I've never, I've done quite a bit of cruising now in the, in the Caribbean, but I've never gone across an ocean. And I can't imagine, I can't imagine not doing it on a container ship. It's just that I feel like, the potential for, for like intrigue is really high. And that's not what I want when I travel. I'm trying to, I'm an intrigue reduction specialist. Right. But you're, you're hoping the more the better. Yeah. I just feel like that's how, that's how spies and human traffickers and, you know, like people stealing nuclear warheads. I just feel like they're all going to be traveling across the Pacific on a container ship in Spartan accommodation. And not on a carnival cruise. Yeah. Right. I think Although maybe the hide in plain sight, Carnival Cruise is where they, like with 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 a nuke in their suitcase. At this point, you're probably you know more likely to escape unscathed on a cargo ferry than on a Carnival Cruise. Ship. Yeah, that's right. You're less likely to to be on a poop cr- poop cruise. Entry one four one two dot mt one two two five. Certificate number one five eight nine nine. Washington, CSA, or Confederate States of America. The, po- the possibility that if Washington had been invaded by the South in 1861, the Civil War might have gone 
very differently. Yes. And that therefore our money would look different. Um, uh, you would probably own slaves. I would not. We, we Yeah, right. The, we could be broadcasting from Washington in New Yankeedom, North America. Do you think this would be... Maybe Washington State would be the new Washington capital city if, uh, if the government decamped to form a government in exile here in the Oregon Territory. I mean, b- based on Kansas-Nebraska Act and the Missouri Compromise, wouldn't every new state have had to balance... They would have split the Oregon Territory into Oregon, a slave state, and Washington, a free state. That's right. That's and, I, right. and I'm glad to live in the, the free state of Washington. Yeah, although you're right that my great-great-grandfather would not have had to have divested himself of his plantation and maybe would have stayed in Kentucky, and where would I be now? Yeah, both our ancestors... Yeah, exactly. We're, <laughs> I, that's a pretty good definition of white privilege if... Um, if all it takes is one alternate history novel by Harry Turtledove and you might be a slave owner today. <laughs> uh, we mentioned, speaking of the two Washingtons, we mentioned during the show that a problem with D.C. statehood, which is a very live issue right now, is what do you call it? Right. Uh, you can't call it Washington. Call it Columbia. Columbia. It's often mooted as Columbia or New Columbia. But I, uh, a listener named Zach suggested a possibility that I had never heard, which is that you could keep the, lose the Washington and keep the D.C., and just admit it to statehood as the Douglas Commonwealth, named for Frederick Douglas. Is it really? That's not what DC stands no. for, District so, of Columbia. Right, but you, you could you could repurpose the acronym, like renaming King County Washington for Martin Luther King without changing the name. The Douglas Commonwealth. And maybe it could even be Washington, D.C., the state, and it just stands for Douglas Commonwealth. Because, you know, Frederick Douglas spent a not inconsiderable part of his life uh, in and near the District of Columbia— um, so it's not a historic, you would actually have a state named for a person of color, which otherwise is not going to happen anytime soon. It seemed like a pretty decent, uh, idea. Yeah. Right. I mean, he was born in Maryland and, um, and in a part of, and born into slavery in Maryland, in a part of Maryland, not far from, I mean, across the, across the bay, but but really not far from D.C. It, it, uh, it, it works perfectly. I guess he did not— He died in D.C. Yeah, he did, but he did not move to D.C. until 1872. His, uh, yeah, he spent— his house in Rochester burned down, I his, guess. His, the, the major part of his career was in New York and Massachusetts. But I guess the last 23 years of his life, he was a D.C. native— his, uh, you know, there's an, uh, you know, his his gravesite is a destination today, and there's an emancipation memorial in D.C. because of him. It kind of works, honestly. I like the idea. So that has a hundred percent omnibus approval. Do we want to rename Puerto Rico while we're at it? While we're admitting new states? Uh, I think Puerto Rico is is. I think that name's pretty well established. I think Frederick Douglass may be buried in. Upstate New York, however. Oh, is that true? He's buried in Rochester. Oh, never mind. He got moved back. Well, that's okay. I mean, Rochester probably doesn't have a whole lot of National Register of Historic Places sites. I wonder, having died in Washington, D.C., what happened that that his body was transported to Rochester? He had lived in Rochester um, in the 18... 60s and 70s. Oh, in fact, his uh, he was living there before the Civil War. His um, his abolitionist newspaper, the North Star, was actually published from the basement of a Rochester church. 
I see. So he was, uh, he had a real Rochester cred. And I apologize to the fine people of Rochester, New York for the implication that he was, you know, I, I was in Rochester, New York two years ago and I did not know there was Frederick Douglass tourism to be done. I missed out. Did you know that, uh, that Rochester, New York is named after Nathaniel Rochester, an ancestor of mine? Is that right? Yes. My, my father's mother's maiden name was Rochester. He is a, oh, it looks like a military hero. And a slave owner. Yep. Well, I'm telling you, it's uh, it's, it's if, he, if he's def- a Roderick, definitely part of uh, part of my ongoing struggle, Mein Kampf, if you will. Omnibus Addenda, Volume Eleven, the Addenda prior to this Addenda. So this is the first time I think we've ever done a meta Addenda, Addenda, Addenda. Of addenda to previous addenda. Addenda of the addenda. It's addendas all the way down. But I made a very serious mistake, apparently, in the last addenda. I don't even know what we were talking about. But I used the phrase British subject to mean just as synonymous with a citizen of the United Kingdom of Great Britain, Northern Ireland. And uh, you heard about it. Well... Uh, this is the kind of thing where something, you know, you, you don't, you don't mind corrections that are not pedantic and then they get into a pedantic zone where you really dislike them. But this one is so pedantic that it comes out the other side, uh, comes out the other side of the, back, pe- the back, pedantic tube. Back, it's still pedantic, but I, I now find it, uh, lively and interesting. Right. Okay. And what is it? Jesse, uh, pointed out that prior to 1983, British subject did kind of have the meaning I used for it. It's kind of a loose way to refer to to residents of, you know, citizens of a, of a British Commonwealth country. British subject, yes. But today, uh, you have to have been a British subject on December 31st, 1948, who did not go on to become a citizen of the UK and colonies, any Commonwealth country, or Pakistan, or Ireland, or you can also have been a citizen of Ireland on that same date, the last day of 1948, and make a specific claim to remain a British subject. Who qualifies for this incredibly narrow definition? A, f- a very tiny number of elderly people. They either needed to have been born in Ireland, in the Irish Free State, and decided they wanted to re- keep their, retain their British subjectivity, sub- uh-huh. subjection. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Sub- <laughs> subjectness. Subjectness. Uh, or you have to be a, Subjectitude. A, an elderly British person who was born in a princely state of British India. Um, so you did not immediately become a, a citizen of a Commonwealth country or Pakistan. So if you were on the Indian side of that divide, uh, you can be uh, a British subject. So now it has a very narrow kind of historical loophole and do, do uh, people that qualify as british subjects get together once a year to like wait to open the bottle of champagne for the last one i mean british subject sounds so much better than british citizen yeah that you'd think it would be the the cool sought after thing but they just threw it down the trash can and made it a and made it a a, a, a pedantic little loophole british subject uh now the, wait a minute if if you could be a british subject up until 1983 why were all the people that were British subjects in 1982 not grandfathered into this subject subjecthood? I guess it's because they all became citizens that day against their yeah rever- yeah I think a lot of a lot of British subjects retroactively became British 
uh, citizens once this new definition became law in 1983. Huh. Apparently, I described a, uh, a listener named Robert as a British subject. He must have submitted a, an addendum for the last entry. And uh, it turns out he replied to point out that he, to agree that he is not, in fact, a British subject because he was born 23 years too late, which I guess puts his birthday in the early 70s. Yes. Um, he does say that, um, you know, maybe he'll have a second chance if uh, post-Brexit independence happens in Scotland. He might have another chance at, at weird loophole British subjectness of some kind. Huh, okay. If he ends up trading his password passport for a... Scottish one? Can you be a Scottish subject? Well, you'd have to be if it was complete independence, but it won't be, right? It will still be part of a Commonwealth organization? Not necessarily. I mean, I I guess. Only the future knows. I think I'm a Scottish subject because of all the discount Safeway products I bought. Right, all the Scotch Scotch deal? Scotch deal. Is that right? Scotch (laughs) deal? Scotch buy. Scotch buy. Scotch broom. All the Scotch broom I bought. Um, Yeah, I mean, my dad was convinced we were... Scottish subjects until they went to Scotland looking for our ancestors and discovered we were actually from Wales and that, they, that their father lied to them. Everybody wants you, you want Scotland in that case because of their history of uh, of of proud and robust kings and clans. Yeah, right. You want to? Yeah, well, I think m- most Americans just want some tartan that they can put on a, a ginned up family crest that they bought off of a of a website. Not me. I'm going to get one of those truck flaps with Calvin peeing on your tartan. Yeah, my my uh, as a as a Welsh person, as a descendant of Welsh people, I think the equivalent of tartans is like a lump of coal. You can get the cool Welsh flag. I see it. I see that a lot. Oh, with the dragon. The yeah. Welsh flag has a red dragon, which makes it pretty bitchin'. And you do see some small number of proud Welsh Americans who all came from awful coal digging poverty suddenly embracing their. Uh, yeah, they have that. They have a tattoo or whatnot. It's their version of the Celtic cross. I'm I'm also largely Welsh, and I got to try out uh, a Welsh accent a couple months ago. I was the audiobook reader of much of Alex Trebek's best-selling memoir. Oh, and at some point he quotes his favorite movie, "How Green Was My Valley," oh. and oh. I had just seen it, and I could I could do exactly the Welsh accent that Donald Crisp does in the movie when I was reading it. Can you still do it now? So I, I don't think so. You'd have to give me the line. What, what's what's something a Welsh coal miner would say? Uh, let's see. Um, uh, the, pass me that flagon of mead. <laughs> I don't think I can do that. Try it. <laughs> uh, no. Okay. Um, uh, and the the uh, guy at the publisher, so I read it just like Donald Chris does in the movie, and he was like, why are you doing that part Welsh? And I said, oh, you recognize the accent. Perfect. He actually is Welsh in the movie. So that's good. And he was like, okay. So they left it in. Interesting. Cool. So, so if people want to hear my annoying Welsh accent, I'm not giving it away here for free. Oh, right. You're going to have to buy Alex Trebek's audiobook. Yeah. Well, you should do it anyway. Yeah. For America and or Canada. And Wales. And that concludes Omnibus Addenda, Volume 12. Futurelings, we thank you for your financial pledges that have made this monumental project possible. We hope that access to these important addenda items has validated your decision to support the Omnibus. It is vitally important that you attach these updates to the original recordings you discovered in their proper context for the convenience of future browsing by your civilization. We hope that our civilization survives long enough for us to provide you with future addenda to the Omnibus.